Welcome to another episode of Celtics Lab. I am your host for today, Alex Goldberg, as always joined by Dr. Justin Quinn. Cam is not available today, but we have with us as our special guest, Michael Scotto from USA Today and Hoops Hype, here to talk about the trade deadline for both the Celtics and some other teams in the league. Michael, how are you today, sir? Hey, fellas, doing well. My pleasure to join you. Good to have you. And Justin. What's going on? Kind of sorting through all the rubble here. Yeah, it, it certainly is rubble. Uh, yesterday was an explosive trade deadline. Woj, I believe, dropped a tweet earlier today that said something to the effect of yesterday was technically the busiest trade deadline ever in terms of most teams involved and most players changing hands total. So a historic trade deadline, really interesting stuff. Uh, the Celtics made a couple of moves. Uh, The most notable of which is the trade of Jeff Teague and two second rounders for Evan Fournier of the Orlando Magic. Uh, All right, I'll turn it over to you, Michael. How do we feel about Fournier for the Celtics? Uh, You know, when I first saw the move, it was good to see Boston uh, make some type of move. I think it's going to be interesting to see. For this season, I don't know if it really moves the needle for them that much. You know, personally, I still think, uh, the Nets and the 76ers are better in the East and certainly the, uh, the Bucks as well off the top of my head can make a case for Miami too, given the moves that they made. It's just going to be interesting to see whether they keep him long-term or not um, and what they're willing to, to spend to keep him. Um, I think certainly, you know, when I had been, you know, doing stuff on Hoops Hype and reporting for our trade Intel series, um, you know, in talks for Aaron Gordon, it seems like a lot of Celtics fans would have liked to have gotten him as a younger piece uh, to be a part of the core with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Obviously, that that, that did not get done. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how much of an impact Fournier has. Again, I think it, it's a nice move, but ultimately, I don't think it moves the needle uh, completely. Justin, how do you feel about Evan Fournier in Boston? It really depends on how you look at it. If you look at it in a vacuum, it's a pretty good move. You know, you can replenish second round picks by purchasing them. So you didn't really spend very much to get him. Did use the TPE, the traded player exception generated from uh, Gordon Hayward's exit, which I am not super crazy about given, uh, you know, Ainge's assertion, Danny Ainge's assertions earlier in the season that they weren't going to use it during the season. And they certainly weren't going to use it on a rental. And he did both. Um, but, in a vacuum, it's not a bad deal. Uh, we can talk more about the, uh, the deals that didn't get made, but um, I'm, I'm not, too, not too thrilled with it in the, in the bigger context. I think I'm going to push back a little bit on that. And I say so primarily because I'm a little more optimistic that Ainge and company are going to try and re-sign Evan Fournier. I'm hoping that it will be for a reasonable deal and, you know, Evan Fournier is a fairly talented multi-level scorer and shooter, which is a valuable position in the league. So he's going to get offers. But I do think that he could be a really useful kind of spark plug for this team, particularly when it comes to spacing the floor. Uh, One thing that Brad Stevens has really emphasized is that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum need to develop more as playmakers for this offense to really work. And Fournier strikes me as a guy who can actually do something with the ball once he gets it, uh, which is not the case for everybody else on the Celtics roster necessarily. So I think the move uh, from a price standpoint, it's not a bad deal. I agree with both of you. Uh, I would 
if, if he is not, if we're not able to re-sign him, I wouldn't be super thrilled about that. But that's the kind of gamble that I think you can afford to take on a season like this one, especially when, to your point, Michael, I think it's fair to say that this move doesn't push the Celtics above Brooklyn or above Milwaukee or above Philly at all. But what it will help them do is reclaim some respectability in the standings, hopefully, and maybe increase the trade value of some of their other players in what has been a pretty tough season otherwise. But that is not the only move that the Celtics made. They made another one later in the day, closer to the trade deadline, trading the stalwart veteran center Daniel Tice, along with Javante Green and Cash, for Luke Cornett, Moritz Wagner, and one nearly $2 million in cap space to get below the luxury tax. Michael, your thoughts on Daniel Tice for Cornette and Wagner? You know, I would say that Daniel Tice is a guy that uh, makes a lot of plays that you don't see in the box score, hustle plays, box out uh, type of stuff, dives on the floor, screen assist kind of guy. Um, you know, he brings intangibles. I, I always liked Daniel Tice, and I thought um, for a team that – any team that really has aspirations of developing a culture and good habits, he'd be a good fit or on a playoff contender. Um, Mo Wagner, I think is a, is a, a guy that um, can be a role player in the league a little bit off the bench, but um, you know, I, I liked Tice. It was for me, if I'm a Celtics fan, I think that was more about clearing out time for Robert Williams. That's the way I looked at it. And um you know, you touched on some money that they had saved as well. So that that's was my first read on it. Justin, thoughts? I feel generally the same. I'm a little concerned about some of the rumbles that we're hearing. We can talk about shortly about looking for a center um, on the buyout market. But it kind of had to be done just to, to make the other deal possible in the first place. And hopefully there is, though Danny Ainge kind of commented, you know, it wasn't that big of a reason this morning. Um, Hopefully they do give the keys to Robert Williams. That would be at least one small silver lining to seeing such a good player like Tice go. Yeah, I really liked Daniel Tice. And I think it's fair to say that Daniel regressed a little bit this season from the guy that he was last year when he was a legitimate, like, top 10, I would say, starting center in uh, the maybe even the entire league. He was really, really good, especially on the defensive end. Uh, and to lose a player like Tice who, as you said, Michael, does so much of the little things to make uh, this team work, is definitely a tough sell. Obviously, Robert Williams is the future of the center position in Boston, at least I'm hoping, and uh, he is going to need more playing time. So it made sense that one of the bigs would be on the move. Um, I personally would have rather traded Tristan Thompson, but maybe the offers weren't there. I will say that I am in a totally biased sense, the biggest Moritz Wagner hater in the world. I do not like him as a player. I don't want him on my team and I'm very upset that he's gonna be wearing green. So Danny Ainge, if you're listening, please wave Moritz to make me happy specifically. I'm sure he's listening. <laughs> Any other thoughts on the moves that maybe the Celtics did not make? We were rumored about, uh, we heard rumors about Aaron Gordon. We heard rumors about Harrison Barnes, we heard rumors about Nikola Vucevic and John Collins. Michael, thoughts on some of the moves that the Celtics did not make at the deadline? 
I mean, I think you could come up with a, an incredible team, not only this year, but in years past of guys that the Celtics have been, you know, linked to and in trade rumors and don't get. I mean, it seems always like if they are linked to the guy, you can probably bet they're not going to get him. Um, just with the way like it's been over the years. I would say um, as far as like Aaron Gordon, I just thought that um, – you know, he would have made them, he would have been more of an impact acquisition than Fournier, but ultimately does that move the needle for them a ton? I don't know. You know, I think, um, you know, they really need a big to me. And, and in my opinion, to take like the next step and, you know, if Robert Williams can develop into that, cool. But you know, as of right now, I don't know if I, I see it yet. I think Aaron Gordon, um, you know, the deal that they got, you know, with RJ Hampton and, and the pick and, and, and I, I, I thought for Boston, you know, if they could get maybe multiple picks, it, it could have worked. But it, the young player going back would have been the question. You know, I, that is really something that has to fall on the magic and how they view uh, their young core. With Vucevic, you know, Chicago gave up a ton. Like the Wendell Carter – former top 10 pick and two first round picks as well. That That's substantial. So, you know, I, I don't know if they were going to beat that um, necessarily. Harrison Barnes, um, you know, I know he could have like slid into the trade exception. You probably wouldn't have had to give up as much. Just again, to me, I don't think that really would have moved the needle as much. I think Harrison Barnes is a nice on a championship team. Like you saw in Golden State, he's probably like your fourth or fifth guy. Um, and so, you, you know, yeah, look, you can make the case that in Boston that would have been his role, but I still just don't think the sum of the parts were going to be good enough in the East the way it was now. John Collins, I never got the sense, was really going anywhere, to be honest. Um, once Atlanta started to click and, and get on that that winning streak, plus uh, I'm pretty sure Travis Schlink said that he didn't really have a ton of substantial conversations for John Collins, and I, agree, I would agree with that because he's a guy that from all – any, any exec I talked to around the league, you know, they'd be like, well, you know, John's a guy that we check in on and things like that. You know, everybody does their due diligence, but John Collins is going to cost a ton. We're talking like a top 10 pick, another first round pick and possibly a player. They have his restricted free agent rights that uh, will allow them to keep him. So, and match any offer if they choose. So I never really saw him as a guy that was going to be moving on to another destination. Justin, guys that the Celtics didn't get, what do we think? Well, as, as for Barnes and Collins, I never really felt that they were available. And that was really confirmed when when the Kings moved for DeLon Wright. That was just totally not a let's, let's sell off some parts move. They really seemed to want to make the playoffs. You could debate the wisdom of that. But, I mean, even more so with Collins, it just doesn't seem like they were really available. So, I mean, you can, you can make all the offers you want for guys who aren't available, but you're not going to get anywhere if they're not. That being said, um, I do think that they they probably could have made more aggressive moves for Gordon or Vucevic. Um, there's very good reasons not to for both that uh, Michael outlined and others others with better minds than mine have made the case for. But it is disappointing to see that Danny Ainge is, as, as Michael alluded to, constantly connected to these big names, yet never really coming with the fire to, to get a, a deal across the finish line if that was really what you're trying to do. 
Yeah, it's interesting. You know, with Danny Ainge, he has had a long history of being connected to a variety of different players, as you all have said. But I think one thing to take into account is that um, Danny Ainge has developed, for better or worse, a reputation as a pretty aggressive GM. And I think that that reputation can actually be used against him, uh, specifically by other GMs who can throw, oh, the Celtics are looking to trade for our player, better get in on him quick, as a leverage tactic in other trades, even if maybe the Celtics' interest is more doing their due diligence than it is actually concrete, they're going to go for this guy. Something to consider. Um, I think with Vucevic, that was a haul to give up. Um, I like Vucevic, but I think, as you said, uh, Michael, I'm not sure that that moves the needle for them a whole lot. The Gordon trade is interesting. I agree with what's been said that the Celtics probably could have been a little more aggressive in going for Aaron Gordon. And I think in a lot of ways, he would have been a nice fit for the roster. But one thing that I kept hearing about that is that um, Orlando was pretty intent in acquiring Marcus Smart in any sort of Mm -hmm. Aaron Gordon trade framework. And if that's the case, then I completely understand why Ainge backed off. I think Marcus Smart is significantly more valuable to this squad going forward than Aaron Gordon could be, even if Gordon maybe fits the timeline of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown a little bit better. Smart as the locker room leader is just so critical to what the Celtics do on a day-to-day basis. Any thoughts on that before we move on? Yeah, I, I would agree with you real quick on smart. I think if he were to be moved, it would uh, probably ruffle some feathers in the locker room. And uh, I know the coaching staff loves him. So for me, you know, I, 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 if I recall at the draft, there were rumblings about smart going for the number two pick as part of a trade package. That's a different story. You know, yeah. to me, that that's something that's extremely significant. And Smart's on a good contract. So, you know, he, he's got value is in the league. Is he a headline guy in a trade? I don't know. But I think if you pair him with picks and, you know, maybe another young asset or something, yeah, you can, you can make a, a serious blockbuster trade. Interesting stuff. All right. We should probably keep moving things along. So um, the Eastern Conference was busy. The Celtics were not the only team that made some deals. Uh, yesterday um one let, let's start with uh, the conference leading philadelphia 76ers who added george hill uh after being very much rumored to acquire kyle lowry uh what mm-hmm. do you think of george hill's fit on the sixers michael i just think that for them it was cost effective and you know for kyle lowry you know i had re- reported and written about it on hoops hype that you know toronto was trying to get matisse Dybul and that wasn't a guy they were trying to part with. Um, you know, they wanted the kitchen sink from Philadelphia. Daryl Morey wasn't willing to go that far. And he also saw that with the Miami Heat, not looking to include Tyler Harrow in the talks. Um, I think the Lakers were brought in as a leverage play, and it, it didn't work out. Um, but that said, um, you know, I, I think that um, – I think George Hill's a good fit for them. Uh, he, he brings three-point shooting, which they need around Ben Simmons and Embiid. And he plays defense and, uh, you know, just a good veteran guy, low maintenance. So to me, I I thought it was a good move. Justin, George Hill, what do we think? I'm sad that we didn't try to get in on George Hill for the Celtics, to be completely honest. Uh, It wasn't an exorbitant cost. And he's a really good half-court player. 
and we all have been seeing, you know, Kemba has had some struggles, hopefully when he isn't playing back-to-back games in the postseason anymore, so when we get to the postseason, things will be better. But I really would have liked to have had a George Hill on the roster in place of, for example, a Fournier. Yeah, George Hill always seems to be kicking around these top-tier East playoff teams, whether it's the Cavs or the Bucks, now the Sixers. The, the top of the Eastern Conference loves getting George Hill to be their backup point guard. Uh, he, and, you know, with good reason. As, all, as you both mentioned, he's a good shooter, quality playmaker, decent defender. Uh, I think this is probably a better option for Philly, given what they were going for. Lowry would have been really interesting on this team, and I could definitely see a world where going all in for Lowry would have put Philly maybe a step ahead of their competition in the East. But I think, as you mentioned, the cost of acquiring a Kyle Lowry, Tybal, Maxi, presumably another pick, that puts a pretty heavy toll on what Philly's future might be. And given Joel Embiid's injury history, given that Ben Simmons, while a dominant player in a lot of ways, still struggles uh, to shoot the ball, I think that it's fair to say that I, I understand why Philly got gun-shy about Kyle Lowry. Another team that was connected to Kyle Lowry and that made some moves not involving Kyle Lowry, Miami Heat, who added Victor Oladipo and Nemanja Bielitsa for former Boston Celtic Kelly Olenek, another formal Boston Celtic, Avery Bradley, and Mo Harkless. Where are the Heat going to be finding themselves after making these moves? You know, I think they're, you know, they're trying to be a top four team seed-wise and then go into the playoffs and see what they can do. Um, you know, Oladipo has struggled a little bit this season shooting the ball. Um He's not in his tip-top all-star shape form that he was a couple of years ago. Um, Bielitsa guy can stretch the floor for them. Um, so I think that'll help. The, the big question is going to be if they can get LaMarcus Aldridge as well in the buyout market. Um, you know, it's certainly an arms race in the East. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. But that's where they think they are as of now, at least. Justin? I'm not terribly overwhelmed just because, as, as Michael said, Oladipo is not in his best shape um, in terms of presumably health, but it could just be a shooting slump. It's not really clear why he's shooting so badly. could also be, you know, being on a team he hates being on. Um, it's hard to say at this point, but I, I am kind of optimistic. You know, Bielitsa kind of fits their mold. Um, I do think they are a better team now than they were before. But the question is, is it going to be good enough? And I think it's really going to be a lot more on, on how Jimmy Butler and the rest of the squad can play as they go into the postseason. Spot on, Justin. I completely agree. I think Bielitsa and Oladipo are perfectly fine, nice pieces at this point in their career. Uh, I think Oladipo is probably a rental. We'll see. But um, ultimately, Miami is going to go as far as Jimmy and Bam can take him, can take them. And that hasn't really changed with this trade in my mind. Uh, obviously, we touched on earlier another team that made some waves in the East. Chicago Bulls adding Nikola Vucevic, Al Farouk Aminu, Daniel Tice, and Javante Green. And sending out Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., and a whole mess of picks. What do we think about the Bulls heading in? to the next chunk of the season, Michael? You know, for the Bulls, obviously they want to make the playoffs. This helps them do that. But the bigger story here about adding Vucevic is it's a long-term 
play to get Zach Levine help uh, in his first season as an all-star and, and really begin to build a foundation uh, of pillars there. And I, and I think that's important that they did that. Wendell Carter had been injured and, um, you know, I think Chicago soured on him in that regard because he hadn't been able to stay on the floor. Um, and, you know, you're going to give up picks for Vucevic, but um, the guy's having the best year of his career and he seems to really have elevated to a whole new level in his game. Otto Porter, you know, never really moved the needle for them there. And, uh, you know, I touched on why I like Tice earlier in the podcast, a uh, guy that really knows his role and, and does the intangible things to help a team win. So I think Chicago's going to benefit from that greatly. Justin, what do we think about Chi-Town? Uh, I like them a lot more now. I think that they're going to get out of the first round of the playoffs, at least. I don't know how much further they're going to be able to go than that, particularly with just it's a very odd front court rotation. I mean, obviously, I think at this point, you know, Laurie Markkanen is, is going to be gone free agency, lot, barring some very strange happening there. It's it's a very curious front court. I'm, I'm curious to see how it comes together, but um, they're definitely a better team now. Yeah, I think the Bulls are definitely a better team. I am not sure about this move in the long run for them. I think that giving up two firsts for a guy in Nikola Vucevic who is expensive, uh, can't really be an incredible defender, and is about to turn 30, uh, that could could pay a long-term price for Chicago. But to your point, Michael, it's very clear Zach Levine is their guy. He has been the best player the Bulls have had since Jimmy Butler. And uh, they really want to build around him and make sure that he stays in free agency. So this seems like a move very intentionally directed towards that goal. And I think that the Bulls will improve as a result. I'm just not sure how much. A couple other teams in the East made some moves. Uh, The Toronto Raptors added Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood for Norman Powell. And the Hornets added a former Celtic. Brad Wanamaker officially confirming their status as Boston South. Any thoughts on the Raptors and Hornets making moves, fellas? I thought the Raptors getting Gary Trent was awesome for them because he's only 22 years old. I think people forget that. And, you know, Norman Powell is going to get paid this offseason. I don't think you're going to have to pay Trent uh, as much, maybe a little less, and he's younger and, and you can build around him. I don't know how big of a gap there is between Trent and Powell. I, I love that move for the Raptors personally. Justin? Well, I am much more impressed by uh, adding Brad Wanamaker to – I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, Brad. We love you. We love you. But um, as far as as far as the Gary Trent Jr. thing, it's eerie because his father did the exact same thing. Uh, someone pointed out earlier today on Twitter, I forget who, apologies, um, that his father also scored 10 points a game for the Portland Trailblazers and then got traded to the Raptors. Mm-hmm. I think he's just kind of kicking the same kind of production that we're seeing from Powell down to a more usable window for the Raptors, if we're being honest. I think that makes sense. And the Raptors are trying to get younger. I think now that Pascal Siakam is pretty clearly established as their main guy, along with Fred Van Fleet. Uh, I don't necessarily know what the status of Kyle Lowry is going to be for them going into next year. It's possible that he will leave in free agency, but there is clearly a youth movement afoot. Uh, Norm Powell was going to get some offers in this offseason, and I'm pretty sure that Toronto had no intention of matching or re-signing him. So Trent is a good get for them. I agree. 
All right. So we've talked a lot about the trades that have happened. We've talked a lot about the new Eastern Conference. Folks, where do we see Boston in this Eastern Conference going forward? What is their ceiling and what is their floor for this season after all of these moves that took place? Uh, when I look at the Celtics, I just think that, um, you know, right now, without knowing whether they're going to end up with a guy like Andre Drummond or something to continue to fortify the front court, um, I think you have to look at them on the outside of the top four seeds and uh, in the East right now. Um, you know, the worst case scenario, I don't even know I'd say worst case because I could see them potentially getting – uh, bounced in the first round, depending on the matchup. But I don't know. I don't see this team necessarily getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, let alone winning it. So if you told me they were out in round one or two, I could see it based on the roster construction as of now. What do you think, Justin? Any chance the Celtics can catch fire and replicate their East Finals run? It's certainly possible, uh, but we'd have to see, you know, Kemba Walker really playing like the Kemba Walker of old, which is not that likely. We'd have to see... Both of the Jays playing, you know, to the level we know they can, but so far haven't. And we have to see a kind of cohesion we haven't really seen from this team for them to, to really have that chance. And there's so many ifs at that point that I think it's much more likely to fall in the realm that Michael is talking about. And I'm, I'm not, you know, typically a doomer, but there is a real potential for, for the, the chemistry of this team to implode even further after having been shaken up, particularly with some of the rumors going on about Tristan Thompson and all that stuff put together. There is a, a potential for an implosion that could even see them in the playing tournament or worse. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair assessment, to be honest, which is depressing. But that being said, I think that might explain actually why the Celtics made the moves that they did on some level. Evan Fournier, by all accounts, is in addition to being a solid player, a very good locker room guy to have. He is apparently very funny and a, an enjoyable presence on every team that he's been on. So maybe Evan Fournier coming in will help the Celtics chemistry a little bit more and inject some fun and energy into what has otherwise been a slog of a season. And I think uh, to kind of cap it all off, I, I think the concerns that you both have are legitimate. Uh, and I think that's a part of why Danny Ainge might've been a little gun shy to trade first round picks this year. Because if the Celtics fall as far as the play-in tournament, they're potentially going to have another top 14, top 15 pick, which could be either another decent player or a valuable trade asset. Um, so we should probably talk a little bit more about the buyout market, something that has been mentioned by both of you. Um, the Celtics have reportedly been linked to Andre Drummond, who will take a meeting with them. Uh, and there are some other names floating around. So... Buyout guys, who are we looking at here, Michael? I mean, sure, Boston's going to try to get Andre Drummond, as is a handful of teams around the league. You know, um, it'd be interesting to see what happens with Otto Porter as well. Um, I just don't know. I, I really don't know if they're a buyout destination for teams. I think, you know, if Drummond went there, it would be because he thinks he could play a significant role and get a big contract down the line. Uh, maybe be closer to uh, the East Coast and certainly Los Angeles, but it's a big market. Um, so they would have to play it towards that as far as their strengths. But, you know, with where they are right now, I always look at the contenders for buyout guys. And I think of, you know, certainly the Lakers, you think of the Nets, 
Um, Phil, you know, you could throw Philly in there as well. They before uh, Dow Moore was there, they had gotten guys before like Ilyasova and uh, whatnot. So, I mean, for me, I don't know if they're really a, a buyout destination like that right now, just given where they are in the standings. It's all about opportunity and, and fit. So they would have to probably, if they were going to try to get Drummond, they would have to probably promise him a starting role and significant minutes because the guy's looking for a big contract. Justin, thoughts on the buyout market? Of the same mind, everything that, that you would presume Drummond would want, he can get in other places better. Uh, he can get more playing time with the Knicks. He can get a, a better chance at a title on several teams. And I don't know. I think if we do go for a buyout guy, someone like Otto Porter makes sense. Um, I definitely think that, you know, if you are going to go for a big guy, it's probably someone more like uh, old friend Kelly Olenek who can at least play the four reasonably well, not great, but reasonably well. I don't necessarily think that there's, you know, too many good guys out there on the buyout market for the Boston, so I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, I think I would follow suit there. Um, Kelly Olenek is an interesting name. He's actually having one of his better seasons in recent memory. I don't know if OKC is going to buy him out, but they certainly might. And if he is bought out, a reunion could be an interesting low-risk move for a team looking to add size and shooting, as Danny Ainge had mentioned. Um, I think Andre Drummond is effectively already wearing purple and gold, so I think we can probably rule that one out. Otto Porter, an interesting name for sure. Unclear what Otto Porter's health status is, as well as if the Magic are even going to buy him out in the first place, which they may not. But a name to keep an eye on for sure. But in general, I think given the crop of guys that are available on the buyout market, it would not surprise me if the Celtics are less aggressive rather than more when it comes to that. And I think Danny Ainge has suggested as much. So last thing, and then we'll wrap Um, The trade deadline is a time for teams to kind of rejigger their rosters, change things a little bit for that season, but it's also a time to look to the future. Um, Obviously, the Celtics acquired a guy in Fournier who's expiring, but there's a chance they'll extend him. Uh, And in general, what do y'all think about the Celtics as they head into next season, regardless of what happens this season? What is this going to do for our future moves and roster construction. Michael, want to take this one? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly they have their pillars in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I don't see either one of those guys going anywhere. Uh, Kemba Walker's name has been out there in trade talks, even dating back to the previous draft. And so, um, you know, I think that uh, is going to be interesting to see. But when you say about the roster construction, I mean, Boston has their pillars. That's a good start. But if you look at the East going forward with the Sixers having Embiid and Simmons for years to come and the supporting cast they have, as well as the Nets with the big three, you've got to improve on that. I think if there's a way that they could package Kemba Walker and improve and get a, a better third star, I think they would try to do it. Fournier as a fourth guy isn't bad, but um, I'm curious to see um, ultimately, you know, if they can maybe use that uh, trade exception with Hayward as well and, just really try to go get an elite third star. You know, previously they thought Kyrie Irving was going to be that guy and it didn't work out obviously because he left. So I do think that that's ultimately what Danny is targeting at some point. Yeah. Justin thoughts on the Celtics future. I've been very generous with Danny Ainge uh, and his moves in the past. Um, I 
just to kind of kick into things that you can look for in terms of my recent work on Celtics Wire today, I posted something specifically about how he has not really done a great job retaining elite talent and has kind of let them walk out the door, the door repeatedly. Now, I mean, I'm not saying Evan Fournier is a bad player, but he's not on the same kind of tier a player as those players who have walked out the door in the past, yet he's again in the same position could potentially burn more second rounders, create another traded player exception, et cetera, if he doesn't keep him. But we are really starting to get thin on some of those things. So while the jury is still out, and I do think there is still you know, the material to put together a really good contender here, the, the, the path is getting very thin and it's very concerning. I'll just leave it at that. Well, Justin, thank you for advertising your writing on CelticsWire.com. And that is such a beautiful segue into our wrap up here. Thank you very much for coming on, Michael. Do you have anything that you would like to plug before we head out? Oh, my pleasure, guys. Uh, no, I mean, you know, just uh, now that we're wrapping up the trade intel pieces, I mean, we're certainly going to keep tabs on the buyout market as best we can on hoopsite.com. I know you guys do a great job on Celtics Wire as well, um, you know, as part of the USA Today network. So that's why I definitely wanted to hop on with you guys. I appreciate you having me on. And, you know, the show goes on, just like Leonardo DiCaprio said in uh, Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> the show certainly does go on. Justin, anything to plug for us? Uh, that's about it, really. You know, there's the, the traders from the trade deadline and the buyout market stuff should be coming shortly. Nice. Well, I'm going to self-plug. If you liked the intro music that you heard at the beginning of this podcast, the band that made that song and the band that I also happened to play the bass guitar for just dropped a brand new album out on Spotify, on Apple Music, on Bandcamp, wherever you get your music, you can probably find it. Check out Divine Sweater on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and wherever else you like to find cool new artists. And as always, you can find Celtics Lab on Twitter, Instagram, other social media places as well. Uh, you can also find the podcast on most podcatcher apps such as Spotify, the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if you like what you heard today, please make sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode and drop us a nice rating. Five stars would be wonderful. If you don't like something or you have a suggestion, please give us a comment on Twitter. And if you are very mean, I will just be sad about it, I guess. Uh, as always, if you want to find us on Twitter, look for the hashtag CLPOD. We are always trying to bring you the deepest dives into Celtics coverage. And thank you very much for listening.